<clears throat> All right, so we're talking about the relationship of, of physical body pain and its relationship to the self. Yeah. And that um, with the, the issue of pain mostly is, is that you don't like it. Yeah. Okay. And we can also see that pain is in fact a part of our survival instinct. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> if you can say it like this, that if you've got a broken arm and it's been put in a cast or maybe a splint in the old days, the whole idea of putting it in a cast or a splint was to hold it still so that it could mend. So that now the kid's got a big cast on his arm, maybe up into his shoulder because he's got a broken arm here, and yet he still wants to use the hand. He wants to live, he wants to do. Well, every time that we move our hand, if you look closely, you can see all those muscles and everything move right up and down through the arm, and that's going to cause pain. Yeah. What the pain is saying is, don't use your hands, let the arm heal. Yeah. Don't move it. Okay. So, this is the whole idea then, is, is that um, we can use pain as a messaging system. And that you can think of sharp pain... Actually, there's a whole bunch of different pains they talk about. There's dull, sharp, chronic, acute, uh, throbbing, um, all kinds of different pains. But that they all have one thing in common, and that is that it's a messaging system. That, in fact, you can think of it this way, and that is, is that pain is actually occupying a mind moment. And in that regard, pain is actually a kind of thought. A sharp sensation, the mind pays attention to it, and that mind moment, that kind of thought that you had in that mind moment was the actual sensation of the pain, and then the next mind moment will probably be your reaction to it. Yeah. Now, uh, an important point is to recognize that not only is our own pain instinctual, but that every person, including all the adults that were around when you were a kid, they also had to deal with pain, and they probably had no skills to do that. Yeah. And so they taught you how to deal with pain in the same ineffective way that they were dealing with pain. I don't know how they did what they did. It was, you know, I see some people, they have chronic pain and some people don't. And typically it's like happier people don't have chronic pain. But I kind of grew up with knowing people who did end up having chronic pain and were kind of unhappy. And what did that, what effect did those folks have on you? I guess it was that the body is something to be feared that like at any moment something bad could happen and like it's all over and your life's ruined because of some injury or something like that. 
Well, just because life is over doesn't mean that it was ruined. <laughs> a big one then was like fact, people would talk about like their back, their back went out or something. They're just like walking up steps and they say, my back went out. Okay. And basically what that means is, is that then they become a victim of the pain. They succumb to the pain. The pain becomes the predominant aspect of their life. And in that way, their life is ruined. Yeah. Trying to avoid pain is a way of ruining one's life. Yeah. <laughs> And it really has a lot to do with attitude. Okay. So um, we can think of it then as um, actually pain is a very, very good topic for the Dhamma because um, all physical pain is normally responded to the same way that everything else is responded to in the sense that we don't like it. Yeah. Um, there are times and places where people actually enjoy pain. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Let me give you a few examples of that. The nurse who is teaching students how to give um, an insulin shot will allow her own body to be used as a guinea pig for the students to shoot her with a needle. <laughs> yeah. And it's part of the training process and that uh, she congratulates the students who will stick it right in. And she cautions the students about who, who is being overly cautious. Yeah. Okay. In fact, the ones who were avoiding the pain of the needle, uh, avoiding trying to give pain to someone that they're giving the shot to, they wind up. That's the beginner's shot. And it's always painful. Yeah. The old master who knows how to give a shot just sticks it right in and it doesn't hurt. Yeah. So in a way, we're talking about here two relationships. One is, is that this nurse who is willing to take these shots in order to teach students how to give the shots, she's gotten used to it. She probably had dozens and dozens and dozens of shots before. But when I was a kid, I'd pass out over a shot. I mean, that was how much avoidance I was into. Yeah. But now when I go to the doctor, the, the attitude is, oh, I can handle that. Well, that was easier than I expected. Okay. It really does have a lot to do with attitude. Yeah. And you can change your attitude. And by changing the attitude, that actually is the only issue that we have uh, to deal with. Because it's the attitude that is painful, not the actual pain. That in fact, um, the Gawanka retreats, with all of the goods and the bads and everything like that, 
one of the qualities of the Goenka retreat supposedly is to teach the students by sitting still for a long time in a strong determination sitting is to teach the students that this is merely a sensation in the body. But in fact, you could get up at any moment and relieve that pain. But you're going to sit with it because it's not really pain. It's merely a body sensation and that the pain is, is that you don't like it. For that reason, I heartily recommend every student go take a Goenka retreat to change <laughs> that mindset from the mindset of it being pain into it merely being a sensation. That the pain is added to it because we don't like it. There is also an additional kind of pain that will arise, and that is the pain of fear in the sense that if I don't like it, then it must, this pain must be bad, which means now something is wrong with the body. Oh, poor me, I'm about to die. Yeah. Let me run to the doctor. And when you get the bill from the doctor, now you do have a pain. <laughs> <laughs> And so look at all the unnecessary pain that was created simply from the issue of I don't like that sensation. And because I don't like it, I'm a victim of it, that I'm running away from it. I'm trying to hide from it. That it's a bully in my life. Can you change that attitude? Can you change the attitude from uh, my life is being uh, overrun and overmanaged by me trying to avoid a sensation that I don't like. When in fact I do have some control over my liking and not liking. Of course. I mean, I've, I've done it in the past, so I can do it again. Okay. That's, in fact, an, an important part of the Eightfold Noble Path is success. That if you can do it before, you can do it again. That's a major, major quality. In fact, the Pali word is sada. And the, uh, in the Sanskrit with the R is shraddha. I learned it as Shraddha because I knew a Mahashraddha in India back in the 1970s. And um, I don't think that she quite even knew what the power of her own name. <laughs> because that Shraddha, that, or that Sada is confidence. The confidence that I can handle this. Okay, let's go back to that nurse that I'm thinking about. When she was first learning to give shots, insulin shots, you know, the, the reason I'm talking about insulin is because the insulin needle is very, very short, very small, just under this, uh, it's called subcutaneous, which means that it's just under the skin. It's not a muscle. It's not a long needle, which goes way deep inside. But guess what? <laughs> 
the feelings that we have, the sensations, the neurons are collected on the surface of the skin, not deep in the muscle. So if you can learn to give these little insulin shots with very short needles right under the skin, then giving the bigger needles is easy. That in fact, uh, uh, the joke is, is that uh, the nurse is coming with a horse needle, you know, because the horse needles, the syringe is very big and the horse's skin is uh, thick and whatnot. So it's got a very, very long needle on it. Okay. The fear of the pain comes before the shot is started. Anticipated pain. But over time, the nurses understand that um, the, the cost-benefit analysis shows that going ahead and giving the shot is a very good thing. And actually, the, uh, the pain has more to do with the pain of not liking it. Now, in my own past, in fact, another example of that would be not just giving a shot, which is a little thing, but drawing blood. Some people, it's very easy to draw their blood, and others, it's very, very difficult. Over my lifetime, not that I've had a lot of blood drawn, uh, but, you know, there are occasions. Um, like, for instance, a visa, we have to have blood drawn um, once a year or so. But I remember in the past that they actually not just abandoned the arms, but they abandoned the hands and tried to go down to the to the uh, ankles to try to get blood because it was so difficult to get the blood. It took me a long time to figure out that actually it was my fear of the pain of the needle that caused the blood to, to tense up in that area so that no matter how much jamming they would do back and forth trying to find that blood vessel in the arm, they couldn't find it. Yeah. And they were doing a whole lot of damage to the arm trying to find that blood vessel that was hiding from them. <laughs> and that when I would relax intentionally, which was part of the Dharma practice, that's when giving blood became spot easy, not being afraid of the needle. Okay, so this is an example. But it's an example of the whole thing in the sense that uh, in certain circumstances, we all go around trying to avoid pain and the avoiding of the pain makes it all the worse. Yeah, I can tell you from my experience, I'm, I'm feeling like pain in my feet right now. And what happens is the muscles of the feet, the bottom of the feet are like trying to push away from the pain. So the muscles are like, chronically contracted and yeah it just makes the pain worse but if mm -hmm. i could just relax and like accept the pain it would probably go away like in a short matter of time actually i've witnessed that happen before like i would have pains in certain parts of the body and i would just be like whatever i don't care about that anymore it's gone within a few days okay so we started out this conversation then with the idea of why the teachings of the Buddha are so difficult, <laughs> counterintuitive, 
when in fact you're beginning to understand how the mechanism works, that it is not counterintuitive that the muscles draw away from the foot where the, where the sensations are because of the deep level of not liking. Yeah. That in fact, um, a way of, of uh, talking about it, this is in the sutta, the Buddha talks about that even a tender young infant, if their hand or foot comes in contact with fire or a hot coal, they, the hand will withdraw itself. That, it, that the tender infant, in fact, um, don't, don't have the kind of motor movements that we have as an adult. You can do very fine things. You, I mean, we have things like being a goldsmith or being able to give an injection of insulin and all kinds of things that people can do with their hands, music and whatnot. But a tender infant can't give a shot. A tender infant is barely able to use their hands enough to even touch the mobile that is in front of their face. Right? And yet, that hot coal and the hand will withdraw automatically. Well, guess what? That instinctual withdrawing from pain is deeply buried into the body. Why? Because the hand itself is responding to the message that this coal that the, that the hand has touched is dangerous. The interesting thing is, is that if this happens, and I've seen it occasionally, that the hand of the infant will withdraw, and then a big surprise will come on the face of the child. <laughs> and then the child starts to cry, and the hand is long gone from that hot coal. Yeah. So now the infant is in a new kind of pain. Not the pain of touching the hot coal, because the hand took care of that and withdrew. The rest of it is all psychological and not liking the pain. Okay. Uh, so, um, there are many examples of this, but the example of the rabbit seems to be the one that's the most striking. And that is, is that when the fox or the wolf is able to dig the rabbit out of the hole and get his mouth on the rabbit, the rabbit will go limp. If I were that rabbit, I'd be tearing the nose off of that dog. <laughs> yeah. I'd be chewing and clawing, but the rabbits don't do that. They go limp. Kind of in the sense that it's all over and they're just preparing themselves to let it happen. But humans, we fight. We don't go down easy. In other words, we struggle. Yeah. All right. Now, that, in, that struggling instinct that we have is actually the same struggle, not that we are caught by the nap of the neck by some big alligator, crocodile, or a big lion about, about to be eaten, but we have that kind of same reaction to the pain and the feet. We try to withdraw from it. We fight it. We don't just let it be. Now, 
Um, physical pain, actually, um, I think in the Buddhist time, was would they would call that um, an illness or a sickness, just like the Buddha talks about uh, that dukkha is old age, sickness, and death. Yeah, and he didn't put in their pain, but you can assume that pain is actually part of sickness. Because when we are in pain, we are sick. I think I frequently saw pain in a series of words where it's like pain, lamentation, sorrow, distress, those type of words. Um, actually, in the Pali, the formal definition of dukkha runs in the sense of old age, sickness, and death, which are the really big ones. The physical yeah. things. Then the next is lamentation, grief, and despair, which are the kinds of things that we do with it. And then the next group, which is the most important, getting right down to it, and that is um, wanting things that we do not have and having yeah. to put up with things that are difficult to put up with. Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, because the Buddha put it in that sequence, we can actually figure out that that's actually a learning tool. That we understand that there is um, uh, dukkha. The dukkha actually exists. There is unsatisfactoriness, <clears throat> and you know about it because people die. <laughs> we know about it. We built hospitals. Because people get sick and are in pain. They get old and need to be taken care of. And that's going to happen to you if you're lucky. If you're lucky, you get old, you get sick, and you die. <laughs> if you're unlucky, you die before you get a chance to get old. <laughs> and so, um, thinking of it that way, that you either have old age sickness and death to look forward to, or just death. Great. <laughs> and we can do it in one of two ways. We can do it from the victim's position of, oh no, poor me, I'm going to die, into the winner's position of, yeah, but I can handle that too. I can handle getting old. I've seen old people before. I know one dude that, in fact, is, uh, he, he does it so often every year in the marathon uh, that they have in New York City that he's no longer the news. And he's over <laughs> 100 years old, and he runs the marathon. Mm, that's inspiring. So... That's the whole point of it is, is that, yes, we can find good examples of people who can handle old age really, really well. That's one of the hallmarks, by the way, of the Buddhist monks that I have uh, come to basically come to watch these old dudes that I learned about and knew when I was very young. I've watched them get older and older and older. <laughs> The last time I saw my own Upajaya, my preceptor, 
uh, Case Othero, he was 107. Not a world's record, but impressive enough. Yeah. Right now, my dear friend, uh, Achan Po, 87. The same age as Bhikkhu Buddhadasa. My own mom lasted, in fact, my family has a lot of people in it. My great-great-grandmother lasted to 103. Her daughter died early in the 90s, but she had four uh, daughters, and those four daughters, all of them lived over 100 except one who died at the age of 97, and they talked about it at the funeral of an infant death. (laughs) At 97. Yeah. Okay. Aunt Lib, Aunt Thelma, and Rebecca, my grandmother, all lasted past 100. My mom just died at 98, I think, something like that. So the whole idea then is is that we look forward to the fact that we can handle old age. That in fact, you'll probably be old and in old age a whole lot longer than you were in childhood. Childhood at best will last 15 to 20 years. Most children, they lose their childhood by the time they're 12. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but if you're 85, you're old. And then you're 105, that's 20 years old. (laughs) (laughs) And so so you can look forward to the fact that you're going to be old for a very, very long time. Are you going to be able to handle that well or not? Yeah. Yeah, you are going to be able to handle (laughs) being old. You're going to be the champion of old age. Well, if we can be the champion of old age, then we can also be the champion of illness or sickness or bodily pain. Mm-hmm. That, there, um, that it, there are overwhelming sharp pains, things that immediately demand attention. One of the things that uh, still persist from time to time um, are, is what they call a charley horse. And that I developed these in high school because I was in the marching band, stomping around. Yeah. Stomping around about six months of the year, just stomp, stomp, stomp in line. So that's when the Charlie horses developed. I've got an actually easy technique. And that is all I have to do. I can even do it against the wall now, but used to that I would have to at least get that foot onto the floor so that I could push down on the knee. And by pushing down on the knee, that uh, uh, the the foot's like this. And so when I'm pushing down on the knee, it flattens it. And then the tension in that muscle will relax. And it's actually like instant relief. Yeah. Yeah. But waking up in the Pardon? I know what you're talking about. I've I've gotten those before. And it's not fun, but it's easy to fix. Mm Mm-hmm. So... But it requires immediate action. Yeah. It wakes you up in the night with with really, really strong pain. Okay. But if we can handle the pain of a Charlie horse, then we can handle any pain. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Any pain. We can handle any pain. (laughs) Because we recognize that, in fact, that pain is, it's a communication. It's telling you something needs to be done. 
Yeah. That in fact, the most dangerous kind of, uh, of situation is when we're being bitten either by something small or large and we don't know it because there is no pain. An example of that is, is that if the mosquito is biting and you know that it is doing it now, there's actually several things that can be done. One is just to let the, uh, the mosquito do it. The other one is to wave the air around the mosquito and so the mosquito takes flight. And the other one is to crush as much of that mosquito into your skin as you can while you're killing it. That's the kind of mosquito bites that get infected is because of that reaction. But if we have wisdom or that we don't have any sensation at all. There was, in fact, a story about a woman who died of snake bite. And while she was uh, uh, doing that, uh, she called and said, this snake crawled up my leg and bit me and I didn't even know it until later. So she didn't, she wasn't watching what was going on. She, in other words, she was paying attention to something else. Maybe her arm hurt. She was so interested in her arm hurting that she wasn't paying attention to other stuff. So this is one of the things that we understand is, is that pain is a communication system. Yeah. And that we should appreciate it as a communication system is part of the way the human anatomy is is built. But um, in your childhood, as well as everybody else that I know of, especially if your mom is a hypochondriac, that's an interesting point, a side point. My mom finally died at age 97, was a hypochondriac. She alone, I think, financed the entire medical profession of the state of South Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to mention any names, but I know a fair share of hypochondriacs in my close family. All right. Well, guess what? That stuff rubs off. Yeah. Unless we rebel against it. You see, that's the thing about my mom is, is that I rebelled against it. In the sense yeah. that at, by the age that I was, you know, 10 or so, I recognized that what she was doing was inappropriate. Always looking for the doctor to try to cure something where, in fact, she should have been able to take care of that herself. I think that that's, in fact, possibly the, the big difference between my mom and my dad, that my dad was very self-sufficient where yeah. my mom was a, both a helper and dependent upon other people's help. So uh, when you are uh, raised around a hypochondriac, that hypochondriac is actually hypersensitive to pain, looking for pain in order to avoid pain, which means that some sensations that would not be noticeable at all now wind up being a major issue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would say I'm probably super sensitive to stuff that most people, or maybe not most people, but a lot of people would just ignore that stuff and move on. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So that means that they don't see it as dangerous. Yeah. But you do. You have actually yeah. been trained to see things as dangerous. Yeah. To where, in fact, the reality of the situation is when you're thinking straight, when the wisdom hat is on, then we can recognize that it's not dangerous. That Charlie horse is not dangerous. It's intense pain, but it's not dangerous. So you can see then that the feeling of it being dangerous or the fear factor is actually the tertiary, but it winds up being the one that drives our life. We're driven by fear, and the fear is the avoidance of pain. And the reason that we're avoiding pain is because we don't like it and we call it pain, where in fact it's merely nothing but a sensation, a messenger trying to communicate a message. And when we see it like that, we can say, okay, well, if that's the case, now I can use pain as a tool for awakening. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa actually talks about illness as an opportunity to practice. In what way specifically, as in like the pain is not me or like it's impermanent and all that stuff? Well, the, the actually... <clears throat> Those are kind of platitudes that you may not believe. <laughs> that's actually, that's funny you say that. Like, I want it to be impermanent, but it seems pretty permanent to me. It seems like, seems well, like it is right part now, of me too. So it tends, it must last. <laughs> exactly. Okay. <laughs> no, I would say that the place to start looking, then is not in platitudes that you don't believe. Okay. Because, in fact, platitudes are uh, are very much like affirmations. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and that affirmations don't work. Right. And so many times when we're talking about Anapanasati and the aspect of gladdening the mind, people will say, yeah, but it feels phony. Well, that's because you're doing it phony. That, in fact, um, uh, just as you mentioned, uh, trying to talk yourself out of that this is, this is not pain is not true. Because the mental attitude is, is that it is pain. Yeah. Okay, so really what we need to do <clears throat> is to start from the very beginning of recognizing, yeah, it is pain. But I've had pain before, and I survived. Therefore, I can survive this one, too. So what we need to do is come up with affirmations that are actually believable. Precisely. Okay. <laughs> not, not like I'm going to be a billionaire or actually like true. Huh? Yeah. Not like not like the affirmations people do, like I'm going to be a billionaire or president of the United States and stuff like that. Well, uh, being both a billionaire and the president of the United <laughs> States doesn't sound like a winning combination right now. 
I don't even know why I came up with that combination, but I guess it was timely. Then, in fact, what uh, the affirmation that should be at that point would be, yeah, I can handle this. I can handle losing. Yeah, yeah. That it's okay that I lose. Mm-hmm. It's okay that I'm in pain. It's okay that I got defeated. At least the war is over. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Imagine two boxers, a 15-round um, uh, big event in Las Vegas or maybe the world championship title of, of boxing. At the end of that boxing match, uh, let us say that there was no technical knockout and it went for 15 rounds with a decision. Both of those boxers are so relieved that that fight is over. <laughs> they don't even yeah. care whether they won or not. <laughs> Just so happy for it to be over. And so this is another way of, of looking at it, is, is that this will be over. And I can take relief when it's over, that it will be gone. No pain that you've ever had in your life is still there. Any pain that you have now has just come recently and will go away. The pain is temporary, but the body will survive. The question is, will your attitude survive? So going into that idea of telling your things that are in fact true, one of the things that is true is is that you will get over this. You will survive. Goenka talks about a, um, the story of a ring. And this ring had an inscription inside of it. And the inscription inside this ring says, this too shall pass. And then Goenka tells the story about the various people who had had that ring and how it, that one phrase changed their life. That this too shall pass. Okay. So any pain that you have will pass. It will be over with. That's one of the things that then is not a platitude. That's a fact. The fact is, is that no matter how much it hurts right now, it will stop hurting soon enough. What if that causes craving? For the pain to go away. That's the next step, because in fact, that doesn't cause the craving. The craving was already there. This is kind of like the first um, uh, note of coming out of the craving is the recognizing there's no need to crave to get it to go away. It's going to go away on its own. The craving was already there. The craving was in the disliking. Yeah. Doing or uh, enduring something that you don't want to endure. So, the way then to handle this is with <clears throat> not platitudes and affirmations, but rather real wisdom. And the important point that you can come at this time is not only can you handle it, it this too shall pass, 
which is absolutely true, but that you can handle it and will be able to survive it while it's still there. I can handle this. Most yeah. people don't have that thought. Their thought is, let me escape from this. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and so um, going back to the example of the, uh, uh, the nurse who is training people how to give shots, that same thing can happen at the gym where they talk about no pain, no gain. Basically, what they're saying is, is that actually, I like the fact that, uh, that these uh, biceps are hurting because that means that I've had a good workout and that the, uh, uh, the muscles will grow. Do you understand that mentality? Because if the if the uh, weightlifter does not develop that mentality, he will not become a weightlifter. He's got to have that strong mental attitude that I can lift this thing up, I can pick this up, I can do this, and I can handle the pain that the muscles experience through the training. Most ordinary people hear that phrase, no pain, no gain, and they say, gosh, okay, never mind about that gym, then, because I want to <laughs> avoid the pain. But the weightlifter himself has a different attitude. Yeah. The attitude is, I can do this, I can handle this, and that it is beneficial, that it will make me strong. This is why Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about practicing uh, when one is sick, is because normally when the body gets sick, when the body's in pain, then the mind gets sick also. How does it get sick? By not liking it. And we want the pain to go away. We want the sickness to go away. But in fact, we can say there is a difference between the body and the mind. That just because the body is sick doesn't mean the mind has to be sick. That the mind can be strong. And one of the things that makes the mind strong is the idea I can handle the sickness. Yeah, the body's sick. So what? I'm still okay. <laughs> The body's in pain, so what? I can still handle this. This is not an issue, it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about um, telling ourselves things. This is in fact step 10 of Anapanasati that we're talking about, is the ability to gladden the mind. Even when there is pain, we can gladden the mind by saying things like, I can handle this. This too shall pass. There is no problems here. There is no worries. There is no danger that I'm going to be okay. And so now we're starting to cut into those other two issues. The first issue is the sensation itself. The second issue is I don't like that sensation. And the third issue is, is that I'm afraid that this sensation is going to cause permanent damage. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we have all three. And when someone is generally injured, it's that fear of loss 
that is the big woe, poor me. Poor me, I've lost something with the idea that it's so strong right now that it must be permanent, where in fact it's not permanent, it's temporary. This too shall pass. And I can handle it while it's here. Okay, so those, those are the first two things that begin to draw us out of it. So we start to work with that fear element. This is going to pass. I can handle this is actually working with that uh, third level of fear. Now the next one, the next level to deal with is the actual not liking it. And we can do that also with this um, issue, like with the weightlifter or the um, uh, the the nurse getting the shots, is that I can handle this really well. Mm-hmm. Not that I can handle it; I'll survive this. But I'm the champion here. I really can handle this. I can take care of this injury. An example of that would be um, just a little thing like a mosquito bite. So the mosquito bites and the first reaction that people have is, I don't like this, but it's almost subconscious. And so the subconscious part of the mind actually steers the hand towards scratching. That's very, very interesting about the, not just humans, but you look at dogs, they like to scratch and they've got big, heavy coats, so they don't mind those big, heavy claws really going after it. You see, I mean, the whole house shakes sometimes when the <laughs> dogs are, are scratching. Yeah. Okay, so this uh, scratching response and the dog is not wise enough to know that sometimes that scratching does more damage. Mm-hmm. But normally the coat itself will prevent that uh, scratching from doing too much disruption to the skin. But us humans, we don't have the protection that the dog has. But here we are with that instinctual scratching. The one story that I have about that is, is that I forget his name. But the uh, actual archaeologist that opened Tuknot Amun's tomb, the one that they have that's so spectacular because it was the one tomb that they got of a king of Pharaoh that did not get robbed by the grave robbers. Right? But it also came about as soon as that thing happened. Now we have Hollywood doing all kinds of movies about the curse of the mummy. Why? Because this doctor, this archaeologist, while he was there, he got a he got a mosquito bite on his cheek and he kept scratching it because he was really interested in all of this archaeology work that he's doing. <laughs> he paying attention to what he's doing. He's just scratching and scratching. He gets infected and he winds up dying. Mm-hmm. Especially in those tombs, you know, there's all kinds of bacteria and whatnot like that. But if he hadn't been scratching that mosquito bite, we wouldn't have had all of those uh, Curse of the Mermaid's Tombs uh, movies. Because it wouldn't have been, I mean, there was no curse, there was no mummies, I mean, no big deal. What was a big deal was mindless scratching. 
So <laughs> basically what we can say then is, is that we all have that, especially here in Thailand. I mean, we've got mosquitoes. We don't have malaria because they know how to handle that. They don't quarantine the mosquitoes to try to kill the mosquitoes off. They quarantine the people that have the malaria so that the mosquitoes can't get to them and then malaria doesn't spread. Mm-hmm. They figured that out in the 1970s because uh, um, Cambodia and Laos uh, brought malaria in with the refugees during the Vietnam War. So, mosquitoes are, are out and about. And the one thing that I know about is, is that we put out mosquito coils that are very, very effective, but I don't put the mosquito bo- uh, coils out until after I've been bitten. Once I start seeing that tingling sensation, now if it's, a, uh, if it's on the foot or whatever like that, which is generally where they bite, then it's no big deal. But sometimes the mosquito bites will be very, very itchy. And so the important thing is to remember not to scratch. Do not scratch an itch. This is actually a new kind of mental training for um, meditators is to be on guard for itches. Be on guard that you don't scratch itches. What do you do? You put ointment on it. You take care of that itch. You see, when we're scratching it, we're doing it with the mentality of I don't like it and I want it to go away and I'm clawing at it and, and rah, 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 get out, get out, go away. But if we take some cream and we can rub it gently, now we've got a new attitude. We've got the attitude of the nurse. I can take care of this little boo-boo. This is no big deal. Let me put some medication on it. Let's take care of it. So now we're talking about a different attitude. A different attitude about a mosquito bite because the mosquito bites are very small, but they can become very big if we claw at them mindlessly. We can get it infected. Uh, We can make it really hurt. And after it really, really hurts, then we really claw at it. So... What do we do then is is that we begin to take a new attitude, and the new attitude is the attitude of nurturing. You see, before, not liking that pain, not liking that itch, is the same thing as being critical of it. Mm-hmm. It's no good. It's bad. It gets a C- minus or worse. <laughs> Don't like it. Want to get rid of it. It's a failure. It's out. Okay. And because of that mentality, it also puts us in the state of being a loser or the victim of that pain because we don't like it. So when we think of it in the sense of, oh, I'm going to nurture it. That in fact, when that, let's go to the Charlie horse again, that when that Charlie horse happens, I'm going to nurture it. I'm going to take care of it. I know exactly what needs to be done now. But in fact, generally, if it happens in bed, the first thing we need to do is just to stand up or do something effectively the same thing, is to get those muscles moving so that that tension can be 
let out of it. Okay, so that's the same thing as nurturing that mosquito bite by rubbing an ointment on it. Very kindly, very gently taking care of it. Okay, so now let's talk about either an acute or a chronic pain that is, um, let us say, uh, recurring. Because I'd assume that that's what you're talking about, that you've got a, a pain in the feet. Yeah. All right. So one of the things that you can do with, the, with those uh, feet is to gently massage them, to love them, to nourish them, to take care of them, uh, to massage and and uh, be gentle with it, letting yourself know that this is okay. We can handle this. That I'm the nurse here now, not <laughs> the victim. I'm the champion. I'm the one who's going to be applying the healing ointment and the uh, the healing touch. And we change our attitude about it from being the victim who is suffering under this sensation into it being a sensation that is going to be properly, wisely dealt with. This is a new change of attitude. The attitude now is becoming more and more of, instead of not liking it, it's merely something that needs nurturement. It needs nurturing. Just like, um, let us say, uh, there's there's more not liking than just pain or just the sensations of the body. And that mm, that yeah. not liking also can be dealt with in a nurturing way. So, for instance, uh, the child has homework to do. He can either avoid the homework and feel bad about it. <laughs> or he could go to school and get punished for not doing it. Or he can actually nurture himself and enjoy doing the homework. With the idea, oh, I can figure this out. I can do this. This is no big deal. So now we're beginning to change the attitude. And the Buddha actually does put right noble attitude as one of the factors of the Eightfold Noble Path. Going back to Swada, that confidence is what builds up. The confidence gives us then the attitude that I can handle this. I can handle this pain. And we can also look for the, for the point of is that if you can't handle pain as a young man, how are you going to be able to handle pain when you're an old man? Yeah. Or if you can learn to handle pain, if you can learn to manage it well, if you can learn to handle sensations of the body wisely, then we can do that when we're old, when we really do have some pains to deal with. We don't have to run to the doctor hoping that the doctor is going to give us some opiate or, or medicine to uh, alleviate the pain. That in fact, in the um, the world of the of the Buddhist monk, 
here in Thailand, I've noticed this over and over and over and over again, that the, that the monks have the attitude of can do, I can handle that. No, no problem here. An example of that was is that uh, it was quite obvious in everyone, to everyone around, that the, the cataracts that Achan Po had been growing had come so white that he was probably completely blind. And yet the, uh, the story is that they actually had to trick him to get him into the doctor's office to have the surgery. And it's just a little surgery, but his attitude was, yeah, I'm blind, but so what? I can see out of the corners. I, I'm, I'm good <laughs> The other one is when the, the monks go to the dentist, because I've been to both dentists uh, in Thailand as a monk, and also when I was a monk in the United States and have a wonderful long conversation with this young Laotian dentist. Because, you see, um, the dentists do the work for free for the monks. And so the monks want to have the attitude that we're trying to make it really easy for the dentist so that we don't want the dentist to have to not only pull the tooth, but he's going to have to buy the Novocaine also. And so out of compassion for the dentist and getting him to actually do the work for free, we're not putting that extra burden on him that he's got, now got to buy 15 or $20 worth of uh, uh, anesthetic, that we can handle it. We can handle the tooth being pulled. In fact, with the Novocaine, we really don't even know what the doctor is doing because it's um, numb in there. But if you're there for it, you can actually watch him uh, from the inside of the feeling sensation twist that tooth back and forth to get it to the right place so that he can pull it out. And we miss that when we're trying to hide from the pain rather than being there with it. And so this attitude of I can do this, I can handle this, is the right attitude that will allow you to have um, dental surgery without anesthetic. It was done in the old days. I mean, uh, the whole history of dentistry <laughs> has been about pulling teeth without having any anesthetic. Anesthetic is, you know, new new kid on the block. It's only been around in your lifetime, or in, at least in mine. Right? So what did people do back in the old days? They were actually able to handle it. For some reason in our generation, we've gotten very much afraid of pain. Yeah. And want to avoid it at all costs. And there's the doctors saying, okay, if it's going to be at all costs, pay me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that's what gives rise to the medical profession that we've had that is, uh, is spectacular in a way, and it is criminal in another way because it makes people dependent upon it that should not be dependent upon it. That, it should, that medical science should only do what medical science needs to do and leave the rest of us to handle our, you know, with our own mind, that we can take care of it. Yeah. So this is a way of looking at it. 
is, is that you can, in fact, handle it. You can change your attitude. If that's the case, now we can look at how can we change that attitude because the big ad issue is I don't like it. Rather than just merely seeing it as a message from the body, it's like, um, oh, this is very common among uh, uh, people of great power. And Donald Trump is no exception to this. He does not like bad news, and so he will uh, fire, or in Pharaoh's time, kill the messenger. <laughs> right? This yeah. is our attitude um, with the pain, is, is that we're trying to kill it. We're trying to get rid of it, rather than recognizing that, wait a minute, this is news that we need to hear so that we can take care of it. So in that regard, you could say that President uh, Trump is not capable of handling bad news. Well, he should not be president of the United States because that's all the president of the United States <laughs> is going to hear bad news. Yeah. Right. So the question is, can you handle bad news? The answer is, is that it's actually just news. Can you yeah. handle the news, whether it's bad or not? is already based upon your judgment. It's just news. That sensation, that charley horse, that itch on the skin of the mosquito bite, that's just merely new information, just news. Yeah. And if I don't like it, now I'm adding something to it. And now I'm calling it pain. I'm calling it bad news where I'm the one who added the bad. Before that, it was just news. So here's the new attitude, the attitude that comes away along with the gladdening of the mind or telling ourselves that we can handle this, this too shall pass, no worries, mate, I can handle this, develops that attitude of, yeah, I could do that. And so um, it depends upon the situation. Um, an example would be, again, going to the gym. If the guy cannot handle the pumping of the iron because of the, he doesn't like the sensations that the body has, he will never develop. This is also true in meditation. Because meditation is actually dealing with the things that we spend all day long not dealing with. Yeah. That we try to hide from it. Yeah. But when we sit down in meditation, instead of dealing with it correctly, we want to investigate the dukkha. It's almost like that the, the very thing that we hate the most is also the most fascinating Thing to <laughs> us. And so this is one of the major problems with normal meditation is, is that they see the dukkha, they want to inspect it, they want to look at it, and then they wind up with dukkha, 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 just like we, and so they do the same thing with the mental stress that they do with physical pain. We obsess over the pain. We're paying much attention to it because we don't like it and we want it to go away. 
But a better thing to do is to just ignore it completely. It's not a big issue. So dealing with the mental stress is never mind that stuff. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to come back and gladden the mind. Okay. So with the pain, uh, the physical sensation, we can do exactly the same thing. And that is instead of paying attention to uh, the pain and the not liking it and the worries about the damage that this pain might cause and I'm going to suffer and die and all of those kind of thoughts, which are really tightly woven around that sensation that we don't like. Instead, we change our thought patterns into this is nothing. This will pass. I can handle this. And so we begin to gladden and brighten the mind. And by doing so, we begin to change the attitude. And the attitude is, huh, I can handle that. I don't mind if mosquitoes are here. Let me have 20 mosquito bites and I will nourish each one of them and show you how good a nourisher, nourisher I am of mosquito bites. I don't have to hate them. I don't have to hate that Charlie horse. I can merely do what needs to be done for it. And so now we're beginning to change the feelings. That's the big issue. Can I change those feelings from not liking it into the feeling of liking the fact that I can handle this? I like the fact that I'm strong enough to not scratch a mosquito bite. That that's where the strength comes. The strength comes from not having to succumb to the itch, to the sensation, to not try to draw away from it, but to meet it squarely. Ha ha, here you come. <laughs> this is the attitude that we would begin to develop. And all of this is built right into Anapanasati. And the, um, the result of that is, is that you can be in a comfortable, pleasant, happy situation, even with that pain coming back from time to time, moment by moment. Because we don't have to, just because it's there, let's, let's talk about it like this. So imagine that the pain is like me grabbing the arm here. If I try to remove it one finger at a time, then it's going to cling on and on, and I'm really worried about that. But if I just know that, ah, oh, yeah, I see you there. Never mind. I can handle that. And now I'm putting my mind moments, my attention into I'm strong, I'm comfortable, I'm powerful, that this is a temporary thing. It's only a little scratch. It's only this big. And I'm this big. I'm a big person now. <laughs> and so we actually begin to change our attitudes from being the child who has a boo-boo that's crying to the nurse. And we become the nurse. We become the nurturer. We put the salve on the wound. We make everything all right. So think about nursing yourself and nourishing yourself and uh, uh, instead of being critical and afraid.
the, this is a, a habit to develop. A new habit. Why? Because you're in the habit of being in pain and not liking yeah. it and calling it pain. So now the new habit is, I can handle this. This will pass. No big deal. Everything's going to be all right. No worries, mate. This is the way that we do um, the gladdening of the mind. So is to change that attitude. The attitude is everything's all right. The attitude is I'm the boss here. I'm the emperor of this pile of dirt. <laughs> I am not going to be half buried under this pile of dirt. I'm going to sit on top of my world. So this is the way to do that. And I'm pretty sure that you can do this. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I've done it before. And I mean, sometimes I've gone even like whole days where I'm like, I don't care. It's I'm good. Yeah. So this is what to be practiced. So you've got already the example of it. You know you can do this. Yeah. Great. <laughs> That's all there is to it. You know you can handle this. Yeah. Yep. This this talk has been really helpful. Great. I went from questioning what is the purpose of these talks to uh, yeah. Now I really buy into it. It's really good. Well, um, the reason that it's difficult to buy into it is because it's counterintuitive. And the intuitive part of the intuition comes from our instincts. The instinct is to scratch that itch. And it takes wisdom to nourish it, <laughs> to put a salve on it, to take care of it. And to see it as just something little, you can handle that, no big deal. So that's the way, that's the way, over and over and over again. You have to keep bringing the mind back to, I, I can handle that. I don't have to hate it. I don't have to not like it. It's just a sensation. Now, we can do that not just with a physical pain, but you can do that with anxiety also. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of people, when they have anxiety, they don't like it. They want to <laughs> get rid of it. And the right thing to do is to look at it, to inspect it, to recognize, hey, I can manage this. I can handle this. I can breathe into it. I can move it around. I can make it big and down and throb and go back and forth. And if I can manage it like that, then I'm the boss here. That I am not the victim of anxiety. I'm not the victim of fear that I can handle this. And that's the teaching of the Buddha. It is the teaching of strength of being able to manage things easily. Life is actually quite easy. <laughs> if you stop fighting against it, yeah. Pardon? If you stop fighting against it, yeah. Yeah, right. Life is easy and it's going to go right on by itself. 
it needs no help. The grass grows all by itself. And so this is the way to practice. So every opportunity that you have uh, for a sensation that you don't like, catch that you don't like it. Not that it's a sensation. Just look at the sensation without hating it. And we do that by... First off, everything's all right. Everything is fine. This too shall pass. I can handle this. If you can have that attitude, I can handle this, then the like, the not liking it is not nearly as strong. So, I think you can do it. Yeah, yeah. I can do it. Okay, Matt. Well, do you have any other questions about this? No, I have I have plenty of things to talk about, but I'll save that for another time. Okay. Well, I'd be happy to talk about it at another time then. All right. Talk to you soon, Damarato. Okay. Go Bye. enjoy your sensations. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Will do. <laughs>